there are a handful of undefeated forces in the world. One of which being Father Time, another being Mother Nature, and the third being the city of Miami. Yes, friends, you heard that correctly this past weekend. I was in Miami for a friend's bachelor party. I was there from Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, Thursday to Sunday. And it was simultaneously one of the best and worst weekends I've ever had. So let me take you, let me take you guys back. And with all of that said, by the way, I was really just like not fixated on the NBA finals really at all because I was just, I was just so fucking preoccupied. So it begins Wednesday night, you know, I start packing and of course that was when game five of the NBA finals is going on, by the way, huge shout out and a huge congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks and of course Giannis Antetokounmpo for winning finals MVP. We will get to that shortly. I just want to finish up this little diatribe on my, uh, my excursion to Miami. So flying out of JFK Thursday morning, 9 a.m. flight. I'm in bed early. I'm in bed early because I want to be well rested for the flight because I know I'm not going to be able to sleep on the plane because I just have this inability to sleep on flights. I don't know for whatever reason. I just can't fall asleep on planes. Maybe it's because they're so fucking uncomfortable. I really don't know. At any rate, my mom, she winds up taking three of my friends. There were seven of us who went in total, but us, us four, our little quartet flew out of JFK all on the same flight, which was kind of nice. So we land in Miami. It's about 12. It's about noon, noonish, 12, 12, 15, somewhere around there. And two friends were coming from Fort Lauderdale. And the seventh friend was flying in from San Diego into uh, Miami International. But his flight wound up getting delayed by like six hours. It was the fucking craziest thing. So he wind up getting picked up and we don't really have any plans for that Thursday, right? Our initial plan was to go to this really nice steakhouse to try to kick off the weekend. But ultimately the friend for the friend for whom we were having this celebration was like, nah, I'd rather just stay at the Airbnb, like pick up some steaks from Publix or whatever, and just have, you know, have the boys cook, cook up a meal for, for, um, the first night, you know, I'd be bartending. The other boys would be working on the steaks on the sides, whatever. So we land in Miami. We immediately get food because we're all fucking starving. No one had ate. No one had eaten breakfast that day except for me. I had a couple eggs before we left. And then after that, it was just hella drinking, just so much alcohol all day. I paced myself remarkably poorly. I was sloshed by 6 p.m. So I can't even remember this. I don't even remember anything about the steak dinner. I just remember going to Publix to get all the uh, all the necessary ingredients and then pretty much just blacking out, you know, drinking Coronas, Bud Light, I had a couple margaritas, you know, some tequila shots, some Truly Lemonades. It was just, there was a whole lot going on, right? There was a lot going on. I got so fucking drunk that I was unable to go out the first night. The boys had decided, what's up with the lighting here? There we go, that's a little better. The boys had decided that they wanted to go to a strip club that night. And I told them straight up, I'm like, guys, I'm in no position to go out. If I go out, I'm going to be fucking not let in because I was so, I was just so sloppy drunk. Anyway, they go out. That was the fucking worst night's sleep I ever had. Now, I had been down bad from drinking in the past, but not like this. I had the shivers. I had 
immense nausea. I almost threw up like three or four different times. I had to run to the bathroom on multiple occasions and I was just dry heaving and I didn't sleep. I slept for like two fucking hours, two fucking hours. And it was just, it was the worst I had ever felt. And I knew that some of it was because I had been up for damn near 24 hours without, you know, some deep sleep. So the sleep deprivation certainly was not helping. And I have like immense travel anxiety for whatever reason. Um, I'm not anxious, like on the flight to go somewhere. I'm anxious when we land and it usually persists for like a day or two and then it subsides. So, you know, whatever. I just kind of chalked it up to that. And then um, Friday, Friday was, Friday was the best day of the trip without a doubt. It was just lots of good vibes. We spent pretty much all morning hanging out poolside the airbnb we stayed at was gorgeous it was one of the only places we were able to rent that slept seven people regardless of you know us having to share rooms there were beds there was bed space for everybody it was just a couple of us had to share rooms with one another but that's whatever that's not really a big deal so we pretty much hung out poolside for the majority of you know the morning and the afternoon i had sworn off drinking all morning because i was so disgusted by my performance the day before, I didn't want to replicate that. So we wind up going into downtown Miami. We took our rental car about 25 minutes into the heart of Miami Beach. And, you know, we were kind of just walking along the beach looking for a spot to have dinner because, again, the food situation was really, it was really scarce. There wasn't a lot of food in the house. We had eggs and bacon and that was about it. There was nothing for us to snack on. Um, really, really poor planning on our part, I will admit. So we settle in at this spot called Nikki Beach. And ultimately, the goal for this night is to go out to one of the, um, to go out to one of the, um, most popular clubs in Miami. Whether it was Club Live, that was what the Bachelor was talking about. He's technically not a Bachelor; he's getting married. That was what um, our one friend who we were celebrating for was heart set on. And there was no fucking shot of that happening. I knew for a fact because, first of all, we were definitely not wealthy enough to get into Club Live. It's like. 18 grand for a fucking table, dog. Absolutely ridiculous. So we wind up settling on this spot called Club 11, which is another one of Miami's preeminent um, nightclubs. So we were like, all right, cool. We're going to go there. We're going to have dinner and we're going to sneak in because although you had to pay a lot of money to get a table or to reserve a table, it was like tiered. So there was 2,500, 3,000 and 6,000, either five or 6,000. And that was the spending limit that you had to, that you had to reach in order to hold the spot. So between everything, mostly food and drinks, which that's a lot of money. Even if there were seven of us, that's still a lot of money. Even for the cheapest one, you're still looking at, no, it wasn't even seven. It was six. So even if we got the cheapest table, 2,500, you're still looking at between four and 500 per person. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of alcohol. That's a lot of fucking, that's a lot of fucking money that you had to spend. So we get to the club. And the guy's like, okay, general admission is 80 bucks. And we're like, why the fuck did we not think to ask this? General admission, 80 bucks. Boom, you're in. No spending limit. And you have all of the amenities of the people who got a table or a booth, except that you kind of just have to stand. So, you know, whatever. Standing room only isn't the biggest issue. So we get there. It's about 8 o'clock. Now, unbeknownst to us, there was no restaurant for this place. So we wound up just hanging out by the bar. Um, we got, you know, bar food to pick out. We started drinking and we're talking to the bartender. And, you know, this spot has a whole, it, it really is one of the, um, really is one of the preeminent destinations of 
Miami nightlife people who are looking to experience Miami nightlife. It's a very small venue. I wasn't expecting it to be so tiny. It was like you walked in and you could go either left or right. The right side, there was a stage for the dancers. And that was pretty much it. a little bit of spot to stand around there, but nothing more. And then it was the bar, which took up pretty much most of the middle of the venue. And then off to the left, you had a slightly bigger stage. And that's where all like the boots and the tables were. And then you had the DJ stage a little bit further down. So it really wasn't that big. But, you know, we're talking to the bartender and she's like, oh, you know, we've had Post Malone here, Doja Cat. They're actually hosting Travis Scott and Jack Harlow when um, Rolling Loud comes to Miami. And I could only imagine how fucking crazy it's going to be that weekend but anyway you know we're talking to her we're chit-chatting she's like you know we open at eight and it's very low-key until about like midnight and then she's like shit just hits the fan it goes crazy right so we're there we're hanging out um you know enjoying the uh (laughs) enjoying the um the stripper experience i guess you could say this is also my first ever trip to a strip club or i guess a nightclub that had adult I don't even really know how to describe it because it's not billed as a strip club it's a nightclub that just happens to have strippers in it so I guess that's par for the course for nightclubs I really don't know I'm not really a seasoned party animal so you know I'm up there watching these girls it was fucking amazing everything about this night was amazing those young ladies took all of my money Uh, I don't regret any of it actually it was one point while we were sitting down I turned to my friend and I'm like you know if I could be wealthy I would just love to flex on people when I go to the strip club. Like imagine being James Harden or Lil Baby or anyone who is wealthy, who is wealthy, well-known, and you just have thousands of dollars that you can just fucking, whoo. That would be so sick. That would be so fucking sick. But anyway, this bartender, she was not lying. Midnight rolls around and dude, it fucking kicked off. It kicked the fuck off as soon as the clock hit midnight you had all the fucking lights going off the strobe lights the club lights it was dude it was intense the fog machine was going and the place got crowded too we went from stand we went from you know being comfortable sitting next to each other to being nuts to butts with literally 37 different people at any given moment it really was it, it was a fucking trip and me i'm not the type of guy who goes out i'm not i'm not a party animal i'm a, i'll admit it i'm 100 percent not a party animal it's my social battery depletes very quickly and you know when i want to go home i want to go home that's pretty much that's pretty much the only way i can describe it so i'm there until about um i'd say maybe like one one ish like also it doesn't help that i have uh issues with social anxiety so when i'm in you know crowded places i kind of get very i get very uneasy um i didn't really feel like that but there were a couple things that were going on i was like listen i think i think it's time plus i had ran out of all my i had ran out of all the money i had no more money to spend um i didn't really get too hammered there either i had two drinks and called it a night which is great which i found out is the way to do it because you you catch a buzz slight buzz and you're still, you still remember everything. Like I have a, such a clear recollection of what on that night, of what went on that night. Not all of it is appropriate to discuss here. So I will keep that to myself, <laughs> but it was, it was a fantastic night. So I hop, I hop in an Uber with one of my other friends, my friend, Anthony, and we drive back to the spot because uh, he was also tired. He had been drinking all day too, like literally drinking all day. So he's like, yeah, you know what? Let's go back. I'm kind of over this. And then plus we 
probably had to wait fucking forever to get back in. So I'm not even trying to, I'm not even trying to do that. Oh, part of me. So anyway, we're in the Uber. We get back to the Airbnb. I'm feeling good. I'm tired, ready to go to bed. I put on a couple, um, put on a couple episodes of the league, which is that show on Hulu, that, that fantasy football show. And I knock out. It's about two in the morning. Finally go to sleep. I'm ready to get my first good night's sleep in almost two days. I'm in a deep sleep. I'm dreaming. I'm vibing. And then it's like 10 after five. And I just hear, I hear my fucking dipshit friends stumbling around outside the house, like walking into the door, trying to put the fucking code in. When they do put the code in, they're just like falling into walls in the Airbnb. They're making all this noise. And I'm like, oh no, fuck me. So whatever, not a big deal. I get up, I go to the fridge, I get a water, I go back and I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm ready to continue my night of peaceful sleep. Not even an hour later, two more friends come back and they're doing the same fucking shit. And I'm like, boys, no, I didn't say that to them. I said it to myself. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, dude, I'm so groggy. I'm like, dude, what the fuck is going on? And the worst part about it was that they come home and they continued the fucking party. I'm like, guys, it's 6.30 in the morning. Go the fuck to bed. Because of course I can't sleep because they're playing music. They're flopping around in the pool. They're jerking each other off. They're kissing each other on the cheek. I'm like, guys, are you like not about to pass out right now? So anyway, I flee from my room that was downstairs because I just... I couldn't deal with it. I could not fucking deal with it. And I went upstairs and I (laughs) crawled into one of my friend's beds. He was sleeping on a queen size bed. So we had ample room to make sure that uh, nothing freaky went on. (laughs) And I passed out for a couple more hours. But at any rate, it wasn't quality sleep. It was like I took a three hour long nap. Well, I don't even know if it was three hours. It might have been less than that. It probably was less than that. Just looking at my hairline. I caught a little bit of a tan too, which is kind of nice. Anyway, so Friday into Saturday, we didn't really have anything planned for Saturday either. I'm not sure if you guys can tell, but there was a lot of fucking not planning that went on, that went into this trip. We did have a fishing boat rented for Saturday, a deep sea fishing boat uh, that would be captained by somebody out of one of Miami's marinas. That was the big thing on the docket for that day. And we were almost certain that we were going to miss it because these fucking dickheads didn't go to sleep until like eight o'clock and we didn't know what time the boat was. Was it 11? Was it 12? We come to find out later on that the boat leaves at one o'clock. So we're like, okay, it's 1130 at this point, mind you. And not everybody's awake. So people are like stumbling down the stairs. They're groggy. They're fucking zombied trying to, you know, figure out their fucking name, their birthday, everything about themselves. And then my friend Saul who was the one who planned the fishing trip. I'm like, I'm trying to get all the fucking information out of him. I'm like, what's the fishing trip? Where is it? How far away is it? And he's like, check the Google Doc. I'm like, what? Check the Google Doc. It's in the Google Doc. So I check the Google, I check the Google Doc. And dude, all it says is fucking Saturday fishing. That's it. I'm like, dude, you didn't put anything in the fucking Google Doc. And he's like, oh. And he just fucking like face plants onto the couch so he figures out that you know we have to leave uh we have to be there for one o'clock and you know he puts in the address of the gps it's it's noon at this point and he's like 
his eyes wide and he's like, <gasps> fuck, we gotta go. We gotta go. He's like, guys, we gotta go right now. We gotta go right now. We gotta go right now. I was like, it's a 45 minute drive to get there and it's already 12.05. We're like, what? He's like, everyone get ready right now. Get ready right now. I'm like, oh, so I'm over here trying to put my fucking bathing suit on so I don't look like a dickhead on the boat. And then he gets in the car. He's fucking honking the horn. He's like, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Anyway, <laughs> we get into the car. We pile into the car and he's fucking flying to get there because when he booked it, he didn't know where it was. He didn't know how far away it was going to take us to get there from the Airbnb. It took us a fucking hour to get there. And, you know, we're calling the woman who works there. And, you know, we're trying to find where the port, um, where the uh, where the dock is because we didn't know what the fuck we were looking for. We get onto the boat and it's already like a quarter after one. They give us the briefings, this, that, whatever. And then Saul winds up getting horrifically seasick. He got sick it what he got so sick that it wasn't even funny how sick he got it was just it was very just it was it just sucked man he spent like 90 minutes throwing up it got so bad that the captain was like listen it's either we turn back and just cut it right now or we call the coast guard and have him airlifted to i don't know it'd probably be like a hospital just to get you know like an iv you know an IV, some electrolytes, something, because he was down so bad, so bad. So we're like, you know what? Just turn back. There's no point in. There's no point in you know making him suffer. Um, fortunately, we did manage to catch a couple of fish while we were out there. We caught three tuna, and we get you know back to the house. We get Saul and everybody situated. Everyone passes out. Everybody. We had some Chick Fil A, and we knocked. We wake up. It's a couple hours later. It's probably like eight, nine o'clock. Yeah, about that. Around 8 o'clock. We're like, we're not going out tonight, are we? <laughs> no fucking way. We're going out tonight. And then the last night in Miami, we didn't go out. We sat. <laughs> we sat in one of the rooms and just watched game five of the NBA finals. And we vibed. And that was it. Now, unfortunately, the story does not get much happier for me from this point out. So, I'm getting ready to go to bed that evening and I just can't fucking sleep for whatever reason I was unable to fall asleep I'm tossing and turning I'm listening to podcasts to try to put myself to sleep I'm doing breathing techniques to try to put myself to sleep I just could not fucking do it my mind was hyperactive my heart rate was super elevated i thought i was gonna have a fucking heart attack and have to go to the er so that definitely didn't help he got to the point where it's like three o'clock in the morning and i'm like talking to myself i'm like it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine you're freaking out for no reason just close your eyes go to sleep next thing you know you'll be on your way to the airport and you can go home it worked but i slept for like an hour that's it just an hour if that and then from that point on it's like 4 30 i just I couldn't do it at that point. I could not fucking go to sleep. So I'm up walking around. I'm trying to shut my eyes. I'm trying to go to sleep. And it would just not fucking happen. It got, it got so bad. And mind you, it's like 6, 630 at this point. I called my mom and my girlfriend to tell them, just be like, hey, you know, I'm kind of freaking out right now. I'm having a little bit of a panic attack. 
Um, otherwise, I'm feeling okay. I just wanted to let you guys know because it would also kind of, you know, have me feel a little better just to talk somebody, talk to somebody about it. They're like, okay, you know, try to get us, try to get an earlier flight. If not, just know that you're only a few hours away from, you know, being at the airport. I knew that once I left the house. Well, I didn't know this. I can't. I can't lie. I knew that once I got to the airport, I'd be okay because, as I mentioned earlier, I don't get anxious in airports and on airplanes. Um, I just feel very, I just feel very safe there. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, I know this, you know, the security and just like the attention to, to detail with a lot of airports is on point. So if something were to happen, it would be, uh, it would be taken care of. But at the house and I'll just like the PTSD, the sleep deprivation really is what put me over the edge. Having not slept, having slept for about eight hours across those three nights, it was not helping me in the slightest. So I get up, all my friends are up. I'm like, guys, I'm not really feeling too hot. At this point, I had thought I had food poisoning as well because I'm laying in the bed and I'm fucking shitting my brains out. I'm nauseous. I feel like I want to throw up, but I had nothing in my system to throw up. I'm like, guys, I think I have food poisoning. I'm going to try to get an earlier flight. But unfortunately, there were no earlier flights. None for American, JetBlue, um, Southwest United, all the airlines, none of them had earlier flights or they had earlier flights, but they weren't direct for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know anything about that. So I would wind up getting into New York significantly later. So I was like, okay, this is not worth it. So let me just fucking tough it out. I wound up uh, having Anthony take me to Publix to get <laughs> Pepto-Bismol for my diarrhea, Pedialyte, and some fruit. I needed something. I, don't, I hate using the word clean, but I needed something clean, you know, healthy, you know, lots of vitamins, lots of minerals, um, some fiber as well just like you know something not greasy because they were making the tuna that we caught last night for breakfast and i'm like there's no fucking way i'm gonna be able to eat fish at seven in the morning before getting on an airplane i'm glad i didn't but anyway i get i step outside as soon as the sun hits me and as soon as i'm in the car and i feel the breeze on my face i'm like okay the nausea has subsided but i still feel like dog shit i was so dumb that weekend my cognitive decline was astounding it was a, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like if you were dropping into a mega ramp and you just kept descending. That was what my IQ looked like. It was a mess. I was a mess. I couldn't even fucking form a coherent sentence. I'm taking like three or four seconds trying to form one sentence after, after finishing the previous one. And that's not like me. I can talk forever. I'm a great talker. At least I think I am. I could talk forever. I have no problem formulating sentences, formulating conversations, but after not sleeping for three days, I was like, Ugh. I felt like that fucking brainlit meme where the dude has the crushed head. That was me. So anyway, we get to Publix. I grab some Pedialyte. We got a little bit of water for the house and I got some fruit. And then from there, I started feeling significantly better. Significantly. The Pedialyte definitely helped. Um, Pedialyte. If you want to sponsor the show, I'm 100% down for that. I fucking love your product. It's amazing. It's amazing. Shout out to whoever the fuck developed it because it really is a game changer. And then, you know, the story kind of ends. Well, the story ends after our fucking flight gets delayed by 90 minutes. Um, We were in the airport forever. We were in the airport forever. I'm so thankful it was a short flight. It, the flight home was like, if it barely two hours, I would say. I get home, I'm finally in my own fucking bed. All I wanted to do was eat. 
I was craving Chipotle so hard. And that Chipotle banged when I got it. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to bust a nut. And I wanted Chipotle. Accomplished everything. And that Sunday night, I slept for 13 hours. Almost straight, by the way. The only time I woke up was around 7.30. Woke up around 7.30 for a little bit of water. I slammed a water bottle, went right back to bed. And still, I'm recording this actually a day late because there were some technical difficulties on Tuesday. Um, basically, everything crashed. My computer crashed. My camera crashed. It was, um, it was not a fun time. It was not a fun time. I was very upset. But it kind of worked out because now I can at least talk about the, um, the conclusion of the NBA Finals with you guys. But yeah, I mean, I'm still recovering from this Miami trip. It was, as I mentioned in the beginning, simultaneously one of the best and worst times I've ever had. Um, I'm not sure I'll ever go back. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever go back because I experienced it once. I don't think I need to experience it again. But we thought that being there for three days, well, technically four, but it was really three days of, you know, experiencing Miami because we had to, you know, get situated and check out early on Sunday. We thought that that wasn't going to be enough. We could have gone for two days and been satisfied. We could have, <laughs> we could have, you know, gotten there Thursday, Friday, and then left on Saturday. And it would have been, it would have been fine. But yeah, dude, I'm so glad I went. I had a great time. I had a really good and a really bad time at the same time, but it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, yeah, there's really no other way to explain it, but, um, fucking dog. But, I think, um, yeah, we're going to move on and just talk about the, uh, the NBA Finals. Man, man, man. Again, huge congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks organization, Giannis, Chris, Drew, everybody, everybody. It was, dude, you know, I'm kind of torn because I was rooting for the Suns. I very badly wanted to see the Suns win an NBA championship. Chris Paul, Monty Williams. I mean, I'm sure Devin Booker will be back in the finals at another point in his career. So I wasn't really, I mean, I was rooting for, I was rooting for them. I really wanted to see the Suns pull it out. But part of me was also like, you know, the Bucks beat the Nets. So if the Bucks go and win the NBA finals, at least I can say that the Brooklyn Nets lost to the best team in the NBA. And I will 100% stand by that. I totally believe that to be the case, even though I feel that a fully healthy Brooklyn Nets team is beating the Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. Let me just clarify that real quick for you. But as you would expect, Giannis goes and wins finals MVP after having 50 points, 40 rebounds, and five blocks in the series finale. Dude, talk about a fucking all-time great performance from Giannis, who shot... 6 of 25 from the field, and even more impressively, 17 of 19 from the free throw line. Of all the spectacular playoff games I've seen, you know, I have Kevin Durant scoring 48 back in, what was it, game 5 or game 6 of this very Eastern Conference Finals. You throw in a couple of LeBron performances. You, that 45 and 15 game against the Celtics in 2012. Him having 41 in, what was that, 2016 against the Golden State Warriors. What Giannis did 
on Tuesday night one of the greatest performances in playoff history. There's really like no other way to describe it. Really no other way to describe it. I think he was the first player ever to have um that combination of stats. And then for the series as a whole, dude. Dude. Let me just pull these numbers out real fast. 35 points, 13 boards, and 5 assists. Ran the numbers. He had, he became the, what was it, the third player joining LeBron and Kareem. Third player to have more than 200 points, uh, 200 points, 30 assists, and 75 rebounds in a, in a finals. Just, and he did all of this at 26. I think he's 26. I don't even know how old he is. He's 26. Giannis's resume. Dude, Giannis's resume at this stage of his career. This guy is on pace to be arguably the greatest player the NBA has ever seen. He's a five-time All-Star, a five-time All-NBA um Five-time All-NBA player. Champion, a Finals MVP, a two-time regular season MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and he's also, by the way, been on four all-defensive teams. At 26, he could retire tomorrow, and I think he'd be in the Hall of Fame. I 100% agree with that. And then you sprinkle onto that the fact that he is an international superstar. He is the... I mean really undeniably unquestionably and by far the greatest basketball player that Greece has ever produced. I just did a YouTube video on Nikos Gallus a couple weeks ago. It's those two guys. And of course Gallus did not have success in the NBA but went on and just dominated the Greek basketball scene for damn near 20 years. And then you have Giannis who was inspired by guys like that coming over to the United States and doing this. Dude, he's barely into his prime and it, it's just mind-blowing how talented this guy is. I mean, at this, point in the, at this point in time, I feel, I truly believe that Giannis is the next face of the NBA. You know, you had Jordan, pass it down to Shaq, pass it to Kobe, to LeBron, to Steph, and I think Giannis is, Giannis is the next guy up. I mean, logically, this guy goes onto the biggest stage in the NBA Finals, dominates, dominates, dude. There was no answer for him. It didn't matter if Milwaukee played him at the five, at the four, at the one. I mean, honestly, it didn't even matter if Milwaukee didn't play him at all because he had ample help from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. I mean, it really was a spectacular all-around performance from the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I think the Suns, I really, I guess I really did underestimate I guess I really did underestimate the Bucks heading into the series because I felt in my heart, in my heart, that the Suns were the better team because they had better coaching. They executed better in the half court. I'm mean, Not by a lot. Milwaukee is still very good in that regard, but they just, they, their offense to me just felt crisper and they weren't so reliant on Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And as it turns out, None of that matters when you have a guy like Giannis. I mean, it really is like LeBron James-esque what he did in the finals this year. There was no scheme that 
Phoenix could devise to slow him down. No player that could slow him down. I mean, at this point, if you're looking to beat the Milwaukee Bucks and if they're able to keep this team together, you're going to have to stockpile a lot of talent. A lot of talent. And I don't know if it's possible. And really, it appears that maybe the Brooklyn Nets might be the only team that could beat Milwaukee. And they're not going to be together for much longer. So we're going to have to see what happens. Uh, Dude, it was spectacular watching Giannis in this series. I mean, this guy had 40-plus in fucking, like, what, five games? Four. He had 40-plus in four games, dude. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, I really don't know what more I have to say on this. Like, you know... I know what I have to say. I have to apologize to Mike Budenholzer. I really do because I was so I was so hypercritical of him as a coach, as someone who just doesn't enjoy or not someone who doesn't enjoy, someone who is just incapable of making adjustments. That's how I felt just from having watched him in previous postseasons. I mean, dude, the Bucks themselves have had couple letdowns in the past couple of years and to see them bounce back like this you know say what you will they caught an injury break against the Brooklyn Nets they caught a break going up against the Hawks instead of the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals um none of that matters because every year every champion gets lucky it's one of the biggest things that you know plays into the championship recipe you need to have talent you need to have chemistry and you need to be lucky. I mean, the Suns, they were lucky as well. They went up against the Lakers team that had no Anthony Davis. Well, not really no Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis was hurt. Of course, he didn't play for most of the series, but even when he came back, still super hurt. Um, they played the Nuggets as well, who, guess what? No Nikola Jokic. I'm not Nikola Jokic. Uh, what the fuck? What's his name? No Jamal Murray. That's who it was. And then, you know, they played the Clippers, who don't have Kawhi Leonard. Both of these teams got very lucky. I don't want to hear shit about the injuries because that's that's just what happens. Um. Anyway, throughout the postseason, Mike Budenholzer, this was his best coached playoffs run probably ever. You know, just the way that he really wasn't afraid to try different things. I mean, granted, he wasn't doing them on the fly like some other coaches were. There were a couple times during that Brooklyn Nets series where you would notice that the Nets exploited something in one game and then you'd be like, okay, well, you know, Milwaukee has to fix this and they would come out and they'd fix it. But you would think that they weren't going to fix it because it wasn't happening on the fly. Like if you know that Giannis is better off playing at the five than at the four, wouldn't you want him playing the five as soon as possible and not have him come back? Another thing, this was particularly true defensively when Brooke Lopez was on the floor teams would exploit him have him switch on to guards have him switch on to someone like Kevin Durant or you know Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the beginning of the series and then you know that slowly shifts Brooke Lopez's time is getting less and less granted he was still immensely necessary to what they did but you know how many minutes 24 what no he got down to about 24 minutes a game and he got substituted for Giannis at the five which ultimately proved to be one of the difference makers and then another thing 
Chris Middleton had a bunch of solid games. Um, I heard Jalen Rose talk about this on Get Up. I caught it on Twitter. He was like, one of Budenholzer's best adjustments was, you know, playing through Chris Middleton. And I 100% would agree. I mean, there were times where, you know, Giannis just did not have it. And the ball would land in Middleton's hands. And he's like, you know what? You have to create. You have to get the offense going. I mean, because everybody knows. Everyone knows this. Chris Middleton is a more skilled offensive player than Giannis is. Giannis is obviously way fucking better than Chris Middleton. But Chris's versatility on offense, him being able to be a three-level scorer, him being able to handle the ball run the pick and roll, do different things that Giannis can't do, really helps open up the offense. It's basic basketball. If you have a dynamic player, you want that dynamic player to be dynamic when, you know, when the team needs it. If they need an infusion of offense, give the ball to Chris Middleton. Now, one thing that I felt was very um, interesting was that Giannis was significantly more aggressive in game six. And I say more aggressive because he was actively like seeking out DeAndre Ayton. And there were a couple of times where Giannis made a handful of fantastic moves. And I'm like, dude, if he had been doing this from the beginning, like not to say that he wasn't, but it just felt like, you know, it felt like before the game, Giannis was in the locker room and he's like, guys, I'm going to carry us to a victory tonight. We are not going back to Phoenix. We're bringing, we're, holding the championship trophy in our own house. And that's something I can really respect as a player. And his demeanor, everything about him was different. It was just, it was scary. It was frightening. <laughs> I can't imagine having to guard that. But, dude, um, I'm very interested to see what happens with the Bucks going forward. Um, I don't know their salary cap situation off the top of my head. I'm actually going to pull that up now. If my computer would... Not fucking be slow. So, for next year, 21-22. The team is pretty much staying the same. P.J. Tucker is a free agent. Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes have player options. But other than that, like, Chris, Chris is under contract until... 2023, he's got player option for the next year, but that's the player option. Giannis is under contract until fucking 30, 3270 or whatever. Fucking going to be in Milwaukee forever. And then same thing with Drew. So the three, the big three, are under contract for the foreseeable future. And then, of course, Brooke Lopez will be there. But um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens with Milwaukee going forward and if they're able to keep this team together. Because, like, now... Not only they're dude, they're gonna be so confident next season. And if Giannis is playing the entire year, like how he was in game six, it's gonna be a scary sight. It's going to be a very, very scary sight. Um, yeah, like I I really don't know what more I can say about all of this. I'm sure there are smarter people that you guys can listen to just to uh, you know, from a more analytical perspective, but you know. All Milwaukee has to do is just continue to do this. As vague as that is, run, play through Giannis. When Giannis is in a bind, go to Chris Middleton. Um, and don't be afraid to lean on Drew Holiday. More importantly, I guess, you know, more than anything else, I think 
the Bucks learned to trust themselves. I don't really know um, how to explain that, but like, for instance, Drew Holiday has that one game where he comes out and he plays like shit. And then the next game, I think it was game, f- game four, you play like dirt. And game five, he comes back and he's the team, one of the team's leading scorers. Like, when you have good players, you have to trust that these guys are going to make plays and that if they have a bad game, they're going to bounce back because guess what, dude? Every NBA player has bad games. All of them. Even the best. Steph Curry has bad games. LeBron has bad games. Giannis has bad games from time to time. And the sooner, particularly for Giannis, because, you know, this being his first finals, I mean, even though he's been in the league forever, since he was like 19 or something, he's still young relative to, you know, his playoff experience. Because you look at guys like LeBron and Jordan who aren't winning titles until they're 28, 29 years old. Like, there's a lot of beatdowns that happen before you're able to hoist that trophy. And now... The team knows how to win. They know what it takes to be a champion. They know how to bounce back from embarrassing losses. Like, this really was a fantastic title run from the Milwaukee Bucks. And it really all started with Giannis in game, I think it was game three. It definitely was game three because Phoenix jumped out to an early lead. That Dude, his 41, his 41 and 13 against Phoenix in game three. And then to rattle off four, three straight wins after that, that isn't when it is time for Giannis to retire. And I can't remember if I said this last week or if I said this yesterday before the file got corrupted. That's going to be the game where people look back on Giannis's legacy and be like, okay, this is where everything changed. 41-13 and 13 at home when your team is down two games to nothing. And then you go on to lead your team to a championship. Winning... What is it? You win one game on the road. Yeah, one game on the road. I mean, but really, like, it was just it was just a spectacular performance all around. And I do think the Suns played very well. Also, they played to the best of their ability. Um, like, I'm just looking at the box score. I am disappointed in DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton was so critical to everything that the Suns were doing. He was shooting, like, 70% through uh, the first three rounds of the playoffs, and then that dropped to 53 in the finals. Um, He had an exceptionally difficult time. Really, all of the Suns did. I mean, you look at Devin Booker, about 46% 46 overall, 27 from three. Um, Granted, he was asked to take a lot of shots and run a lot of the offense, so I'm not surprised that his shooting percentages were uh, a little lackluster, but like Milwaukee's defense just took it to another level in the final games of the series. Like it was so difficult for Phoenix to get anything going on offense. And, you know, it's strange to think about that when you have Chris Paul and when you have Devin Booker, but you know, sometimes you just, sometimes good defense is better than good offense. And, you know, otherwise there's really, there's really not much else I can say. I think that ultimately it comes down to Phoenix got outplayed and outcoached and I was wrong. I picked the Suns in seven and I was wrong. I'll take the L. You know, it happens from time to time. But anyway, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now it's time to react to some of the news going around the league. Granted, there isn't going to be much news because everything is really, um, everything is really just about, oh my God, my fucking. There really isn't much news going around because everything is fixated on 
on the finals? Um, whoa, what the fuck is this? Multiple people injured in shooting during Bucks NBA final celebration. What? This is courtesy of Yahoo Sports. This was published today, Wednesday, at 8.45. Three people were injured in a pair of shootings in Milwaukee following the Bucks NBA Finals win on Tuesday night. Police confirmed Wednesday morning. The shootings, per the Associated Press, took place in two locations across the Milwaukee River near Water Street around 12.42 a.m. Multiple shots were heard on local TV broadcasts, including on TMG, TMJ4, which was covering the celebrations with quote do- when quote dozens of gunshots were heard. The scene, reporter Ben Jordan said, was quote, quote incredibly frightening. Dude, what in the Philadelphia is going on here? Two suspects are in custody, one from each shooting. All three victims, a 19-year-old woman, a 22-year-old man, and a 32-year-old man, suffered life- non-life-threatening injuries. Fortunately, everybody is okay for the most part, thank God. Police are investigating and searching for others involved. A police officer was also injured at the Deer District Plaza where about 65,000 fans packed in to watch the game outside the stadium. The officer was trampled by people trying to get in per the report but did not suffer any serious injuries. Also, very fortunate that that man was not hurt either. Or that person. I don't know if it's a man or woman. It doesn't specify. The Bucks closed out the Suns. Okay, yeah. You know, bringing back their first title in 50 years. Holy shit, this is Philadelphia-type behavior. This really is like Eagles winning the Super Bowl type shit like just fucking people go out getting shot dudes getting trampled i'm just so fucking thankful that no one got hurt this is fucking so terrible what the fuck dude okay well that was uh interesting what's going on here we're talking about damian lillard um let's see this might be sus i don't even know who this who's reporting this I'm guessing today. Fuck. Just burping all over the place. Dame is a sort of superstar. Um, Oh, I read this. I read something just like this yesterday before my fucking shit exploded. I don't want to read it again. It's just talking about how fucking any team that's looking for Dame, like the Sixers, the Kings, the Knicks, they're just going to have to... I think Kevin O'Connor said that they're going to have to part with... Great, the fucking dogs are rocking. Awesome. Anyway, are we done? Okay. Anyway, just talking about how any team that wants to get Dame is going to have to part with, you know, a similar amount of assets or more, probably more than what the Brooklyn Nets gave up for James Harden. So it's like a bunch of picks. I think it's like in total seven picks, whether they're traded or swapped, and then four young players. Uh, Let's see what's going on. Ooh. Off-season moves for the Suns. What to do with Chris Paul? If this is an ESPN Plus article, I'm going to fucking scream. (sighs) I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. God damn it. Whatever. Fucking shit. Ooh. Oh, Maria Taylor leaves ESPN after NBA Finals. This is the New York Times, so there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to read this. This is also behind a paywall. Yep, all right. Well, you want to know what? I do want to read this, actually. So we're going to go to Twitter. Because I did see it on Twitter. Um, someone fucking... 
shared an article. Oh, dude, I can't wait to fuck it. Steven Jackson is talking spicy. I can't wait to read that. That's going to be fucking awesome. ESPN PR. ESPN and Maria Taylor jointly announced today that after much discussion, an agreement on a contract extension could not be reached. No fucking shit, man. No fucking shit. You just fucking... Dude, ESPN fucked that up royally. You dumb fucks. This is courtesy of Front Office Sports. ESPN's Maria Taylor at, quote, half-yard line of deal with rival NBC. Hopefully, Pete Carroll is not negotiating. ESPN's Maria Taylor is nearing a possible deal with rival NBC Sports. The rising star could become the new host of Football Night in America as Mike Tirico transitions into the play-by-play post long held by Al Michaels. With her experience on ESPN's popular college game day, Taylor could work on ESPN's broadcast of Notre Dame football. As an added lore, NBC could provide Taylor a global TV stage as an Olympic correspondent. I think it said, um, this is okay. The 34-year-old Taylor has been at loggerheads with ESPN executives over a new contract. While the worldwide leader in sports is offering to triple her salary to $3 million per year, Taylor is seeking $5 million or more. Those figures could put her ahead of NFL insider Adam Schefter on the salary chart, but behind Mike Greenberg, $6 million, and Stephen A. Smith, $12 million. Whoa. Fuck. The New York Post reported Taylor was, quote, seeking Stephen A. Smith money before her, before her deal expires. Fuck yeah, girl. Go get your bread. Go get your fucking bread from those corporate fucks. Then this is uh, just talking about the uh, whole Rachel Nichols situation and how ESPN royally fucked that up. Um, yeah, cool. Good for Maria Taylor. Hope she gets a lot of money. Fuck yeah. Okay. Steven Jackson is trending on Twitter. This is awesome. On Fox Sports, on First Things First, former NBA player Steven Jackson says Giannis is, quote, on a super team, sparking a debate about the level of talent on the Bucks. Okay. This is, this is interesting. This is very interesting because... Now, there is really nothing more that goes into this. Like, there, there is no explanation. There's no video that I can watch. Giannis had 50-12-5 last night, and Steven Jackson said KD is more like Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan was all over the court. Wow, so I guess Steven Jackson... Okay, well, I... Listen, we have to talk about this because... The Milwaukee Bucks. I don't want people to downplay Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Okay? Let me just get that out there. Drew Holiday is a fantastic player. Was an all-star many moons ago. One of the best defensive guards in the NBA. And then Chris Middleton is an all-star in his own right. Okay? Wasn't an all-star this year but was an all-star two years ago. However, I would not say that the Bucks are a super team, although they're close to being a super team because they do have a lot of talent. They are not the... They're not a super team in the sense that, like, the Nets are a super team. 
And it's automatically the perception is different. The perception is very different between teams like the Bucks and teams like the Nets because, you know, people say the Nets are trying to buy their way to a championship. Okay, whatever. The difference is that Brooklyn and Miami, when they went out and they added LeBron and Chris Bosh back in uh, 2011 or whatever it was, 2010, there's a difference between constructing a homegrown super team and then building a super team via agency via trades pretty much outside of the draft. Milwaukee is close to being a super team, but it's different because it came about organically. Very similar to how the Golden State Warriors became an organic super team. You drafted Steph Curry. You drafted Klay Thompson. You drafted Draymond Green. Just like how the Bucks drafted Giannis. How they drafted Chris Middleton. No, I'm, I'm sorry. They didn't draft Chris Middleton. He was actually drafted by Detroit, but they traded for Chris Middleton for probably fucking nothing. For Brandon Jennings. Awesome. You trade for Drew Holiday because he makes your team better. Like, I I really don't see the issue with... um. Actually, I do kind of see the issue. I mean, I can't even say I really even see the issue with what Steven Jackson said because I don't get the whole... I don't get the whole thing. Because, dude, the Bucks are a fucking talented team. Like, you don't win a championship just because one guy is super talented. Look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had LeBron when they lost to the Golden State Warriors in three finals. They lost because the Warriors collectively were better than LeBron James was by himself. And that was at the time when LeBron was still pretty widely recognized as the best player in the NBA. A good team will always beat an okay team with a great player. The Bucs just so happen to have a bunch of really good players. Giannis, of course, is probably already an all-time great. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday are good in their own right. I don't want people to like try to discredit them just to build up Giannis because that's not necessary. This dude had four, had 50, 14, and 5 in a championship in um, the finals finale. Like, you don't need to tear down his teammates to build him up. He fucking built himself up by himself. Um, Yeah, wow, I thought this was going to be a lot better, actually. I'm sorry that you guys had to listen to that. Um, Back to the news. Half Sprite, oh yeah, fucking Giannis goes out and orders a 50-piece a 50 fucking Chick-fil-A Nuggets, not 51, not 49, 50. And then let me get a <laughs> half Sprite, half lemonade with no ice. That's fucking amazing. I'm so happy I saw that video. It's so good. It's so fucking good, man. What are we doing here? Um, trying to find something good to talk about. Oh, God. Bobby Portis. This is sick. This is from the fucking dirty rag that is the New York Post. Bobby Portis turning down Nick's money for Bucks was, quote, best thing. A year ago, Bobby Portis was back home in Little Rock, Arkansas. Ticked off that the Knicks weren't invited back to the Orlando bubble for the season's restart due to their 21-54 record. 
Portis had been finally feeling his groove in his first season with New York when their season abruptly ended on March 11, 2020 in Atlanta. On a late July night from Milwaukee's Pfizer Forum, Portis was on a championship ceremony platform with Commissioner Adam Silver, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and 17,000 fans chanting, Bobby, Bobby, after he scored 16 points off the bench to help key the Bucks' Game 6 victory. Quote, I was really depressed, really down, not being invited to the bubble with my team, Portis told the Bucks crowd. Crowd. I worked out for months and I found peace in my life. Coming here was the best thing that ever happened to me, man. Later at the press conference, Portis acknowledged his redemption his redemption season in Bruce City may not have happened. He conformed he confirmed. He confirmed a report from the post that the Knicks made him a higher offer during the Bucks than the Bucks during free agency. Portis signed a two year, seven and a half million dollar deal with Milwaukee to attempt to break the Bucks fifty year title curse. Quote I knew it was the right place when I made the decision. Fun fact, like Little fun, like, like fun little story. During free agency, actually before free agency, the Knicks turned down my $15 million team option and they wanted to sign me to another deal and it was pretty nice money. But I wasn't really worried about the money. Sometimes money isn't everything. It's about happiness. I found happiness here. Whether Portis goes for the money in August and turns down his option remains to be seen, but he felt like he felt like a glove in Milwaukee. If Obi Toppin is traded in a Colin Sexton deal, the Knicks could even have renewed interest in the in the prototype stretch for if he's a free agent as expected. Quote, when I first got here, I felt welcome and I felt loved, Portis said of Milwaukee. The guys made me at home and the coaches made me comfortable. I get to be myself every day. Just be energetic. Guys on my team, they're kind of quiet guys. There's not many guys like me that are outgoing and really bring what I bring to the table. That is 100% correct. Yeah, dude, shout out to Bobby Portis. This guy went from fucking punching Nikola Mirotic in the mouth to being pretty much universally disliked by the Knicks for some of his tenure, not all. The tide, um, it did turn, but for the longest time, like Knicks fans, they just, I felt like they wanted to send Bobby Portis and Alfred Payton to the gulag more than anybody. But dude, Bobby Portis is a player, man. This guy, he contributes. I think he's going to stay in Milwaukee, especially if they have the chance to, um, if they have the chance to repeat as champions, but yeah, dude, shout out to Bobby Portis. I thought this was going to be um, a more slanderous article for whatever reason. Anyway, I'm glad it didn't turn out like that. What do we got? What else do we got? Ooh, time to refresh Google News. Hold on. This is fucking, this is going to be fucking good, man. I got to sit back for this. Damian Lillard trade rumors. Warriors, Warriors package tough to beat if Blazers are looking for full rebuild. Okay, let's find the fucking, is it like a diagram that I can look at? This, of course, is assuming the Warriors would empty the cupboard to get Lillard. I don't know if they would. Perhaps they would be fearful of defensive issues pairing Curry and Lillard with a potentially diminished Klay Thompson. There are a lot of ways they could put their two 2021 lottery picks, future picks, and James Weissman together in search of their own championship-level upgrades. But if the Warriors weren't able to deny the intrigue of a Curry-Lillard-Thompson flamethrowing duo trio, and they indeed offered the number 7 and 14 picks in this year's draft, Weissman 
a future first rounder or two, and Andrew Wiggins to make the money work, it would be exceedingly difficult for Portland to find a better package to kickstart its rebuild. That is 100% true. Um, Kind of? Yeah, so they would get um the 7th and the 4th round picks in 2020. Uh, the 7th overall and the 14th overall in 2021, which are probably the two best assets they would get. The future picks probably would be worth um nothing because I'm sure the Warriors with Curry, Steph, Clay, and Draymond would easily win like 55, 57 games. Like that's fucking ridiculous. Um Andrew Wiggins would be a decent addition. And of course, James Wiseman is a very talented young player, but I'm not sure. <laughs> or maybe. I don't know, dude. So here's the thing, right? Portland brings in a new coach. Um, I don't remember if they fired Neil Olshay. I don't think they did. Oh, okay. So this is, <laughs> could Neil O'Shea want to be fired? Maybe. <laughs> Holy fuck. Anyway, if they are trying to clean house, new coach, potentially new uh, people in the front office, you get rid of Dame. Ultimately, if you get rid of Dame, you are signaling the end of the Lillard McCollum era. So that means you also have to trade. We well, don't have to, but it would be to your benefit to also trade CJ McCollum and to also offload Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, that would be a decent package. You know, a lot of draft picks. You would also get, I don't even want to say Weissman's a proven young player, but he's a decent young player. Um, That would be, that would be so fucking, that would be so interesting. That would be so interesting. Uh, I don't think this would happen. We'd have to also have to see what plays out with um the Sixers. Because I know the Sixers have been linked to Dame over and over again. And, you know, maybe if they have these two packages, one from the Warriors that has more picks, but, you know, the Sixers, in order to get Dame, they'd have to part with Ben Simmons. And what is Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons is a proven young player. All-star caliber player. All-defensive. Defensive player of the year caliber player. Fuck all defense. Like, the only issue there is You'd have to find a new franchise centerpiece. I don't know if Ben Simmons is that guy. Um, I also don't know if you'd be able to find one of those guys without having to go through the draft. But anyway, uh, I don't know if Damian Lillard gets traded this offseason. I don't know if he gets traded next offseason. If he were to get traded, because he's still got four years left on his deal. I'm pretty sure it's four. If... He were to get traded, it would probably be within the final two years of his deal because then Portland is just, you know, they're just looking to offload uh, his contract. Oh, this is fucking great. I love Bleacher Report opinion articles. They are, they literally make me horny. Every NBA team's player most likely to be traded this summer. I like play, I like lists like this. I like to just scroll past everybody. Oh, Brooklyn Nets, DeAndre Jordan. Fuck yeah. The presence of three superstars affords the Brooklyn Nets several luxuries. They can get away with lineups that include limited specialists like Bruce Brown Jr. and cast cast off like Blake Griffin. First of all, fuck you. Limited specialist Bruce Brown and cast offs like Blake Griffin. Dude, Blake Griffin played meaningful minutes and produced 
at a rate that far exceeded everyone's expectations. This guy is saying cast-offs like Blake Griffin. Meanwhile, people also thought that Blake Griffin helped ruin the NBA. So, okay. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving can make almost any teammates look good. So long as said teammates have at least something to offer on the floor. True. DeAndre Jordan's zero postseason minutes illustrate the limitations of Brooklyn's roster-building privilege. His immobility and lack of offensive stretch rendered him unusable in the 2021 postseason. No shock after he posted by far the worst on-off splits of any Nets play, any Nets rotation player during the season. I agree with this. Uh, DeAndre Jordan is a shell of himself. I did, however, feel that if the Brooklyn Nets did meet up with the um the Sixers in the playoffs in the Easter Conference Finals, they would have busted out DJ. They would have fucking dusted him off and thrown him out there against Joel Embiid because, yeah, I get DeAndre Jordan is not the player that he used to be, but, you know, he's a big body who could just, you know, get in Embiid's way. If anything, just, like, stand in front of him. Um, Yeah, but I don't know if... Because what are you going to trade him for? That's the thing. For a title-hunting Nets team that should only care about its playoff makeup, paying $9.8 million for an unplayable center doesn't make sense. Spencer Dinwiddie is a sign-and-trade candidate, and the Nets could shuffle up the back end of their rotation by moving lower-salaried players, but Jordan despite his close relationships with Durant and Kyrie, is the guy Brooklyn has to look the hardest at moving. Who do you trade him for, though? That's the thing. See, at least Spencer Dinwiddie has trade value. Spencer Dinwiddie has trade value despite coming off an ACL injury because he was in the running for six men of the year two years ago. A guy who can get you 20 points and six assists at any given moment. A fantastic player in the pick-and-roll. Gets downhill with incredible ease. Has fantastic size for the point guard position. Like DeAndre Jordan has no trade value. What are you going to trade him for? Like at this point, I'd rather keep him on the roster just to satisfy Kyrie and KD instead of trading him for nothing. Because you're going to trade him for someone who is almost nearly as useless as he is. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving might not even like that guy. And here's the thing, dude. The Nets don't even need a big center in the playoffs. They need wing defense. They need wing defense. That's why when people were talking about guys like Nick Batum, I was like, oh, Nick Batum, you know, he might look good in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Like, those are the kinds of guys that they need. Guys... You can shoot threes and play defense. They need three and D guys. We saw this against the Bucks. They didn't need a big center. They needed someone who could play defense on Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. That was what they needed. Not fucking DeAndre Jordan. Um, Al Farouk Aminu, what the fuck? That's true. I'm trying to see if there are like any guys on this list that Brooklyn could maybe trade for. Kyle Kuzma, no. Kyle Anderson, he'd be cool in Brooklyn. But I, again, I don't think that he is. Memphis is definitely not trading him for DeAndre Jordan. 100% no. Kevin Knox, what the fuck? Yeah, no shot any of these guys on this list are being traded to uh to Brooklyn for fucking DeAndre Jordan. No thank you. Okay. Let's swing by over to Reddit. 
this is where I was at yesterday when my shit crashed. So hopefully. Oh, I remember I was reading about uh, Yusuf Nurkic who tried to buy a bunch of vaccines for Bosnia and the United States was just like, nope, get fucked. I'm just like, that's fucking classic America right there. A lot of highlights. Oh? Ooh? How did I not see this? Henry Abbott, source, Blazer star Damian Lillard to request trade in the days to come. Babies? I think we got him. I think we finally found some fucking... <gasps> I think we finally found some fucking juicy content. If this is a surprise you haven't been paying attention, fuck yeah. Turn me up, dude. I'm trying to find where... I'm trying to find where it says. Now a source close to Lillard says that in the days to come, he plans to request a trade. Okay. That's fucking. This was five days ago, though. So I don't know. That must have been cap. Five days. That puts us at Friday. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, dude. That was 100% cap. There's no fucking way. Or maybe it's true and you just want people to forget about it over the weekend. Even then, like, he, it's Wednesday. He hasn't requested a trade yet. So what the fuck's going on? Shannon Sharp on Giannis, quote, for a guy that can't, 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 he's a two-time league MVP, a defensive player of the year, and he's on the cusp of winning a title and being a finals MVP. That's a hell of a lot of accomplishment for a guy that's got a lot of can'ts. That's true. And when people talk about the things Giannis can't do, it's always pertinent to his offense. And to be fair, Giannis is quite limited offensively. He does benefit a lot from just being fucking bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic than everybody, but like, if he weren't exploiting that, we would be criticizing him for it. A hundred percent. This dude can jump over everyone, can bully anybody, can just fucking run through everyone on the defense and put the ball in the bucket. Like, if he weren't doing that, that would be an issue. So what if he doesn't have a fucking competent postgame? He doesn't need one at this stage. And even, even now, like, he's still pretty decent in the post but his first instinct is just go 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 right to the cup um yeah i'm not surprised that people are still talking about the things that Giannis can't do but when in reality he's fucking incredible oh i saw this yesterday i really wanted to fucking talk about it during the 1999 98 lock 1988 oh my god fucking shit during the 1998-99 lockout michael jordan almost had a deal with Estudiantes in Madrid. There was a bonus included private golf lessons with Serviano. 
Serviano Ballesteros, a legendary Spanish golfer. Basically, MJ was supposed to play golf from Monday to Friday and then some basketball on the weekend. That's fucking golf basketball America in that order. Hell yeah, brother. I fucking love and I fucking love R slash NBA. It's so good, dog. I don't disagree. This is Dame, by the way. I don't disagree that maybe Chauncey can change our team and make us a better team, but I think if you look at our team as it is, I don't see how you say, quote, this is a championship team, we just need a new coach. This is true because, yeah, no fucking dick and balls. They need more than a new coach. Like, you go to the playoffs every year, or barely make the playoffs every year. Maybe not barely, but, you know, you make the playoffs as a 5, 6, 7, or 8 seed. You maybe make it to the second round. Like, there are there are systemic issues that are wrong with the Blazers. Like, defense is trash. No help outside of Damon C. Well, minimal help outside of Damon CJ. They traded for Norman Powell, which was a quality signing, but you need more of those and then Norman Powell. What the fuck? You need more of those and then some. Like, you can't make one trade and then be like, oh, yep, we're good. Shit don't work that way. All right, boys. I think I'm. I think this is it. I think this might be the end. We're gonna close with. Posted by, okay. I'm not even gonna try to say this guy's name. Are we really just going to ignore the fact that Chris Paul is a dirty player? Am I the only one who thinks that CP3 got away with that foul? That foul on Giannis's dunk was dangerous as fuck. He was midair and CP3 pushed him. I think they're talking about when um. Giannis goes up for the dunk and Chris Paul like puts one hand on his dick and the other on his stomach. Giannis was lucky he, that he caught the ball and had a chance to hang on to the rim to save his fall, but that was really dirty. CP3 was also lucky the refs let it go. If that was taken early in the game, that would have been reviewed for an unsportsmanlike foul. The old dick puncher himself. The old <laughs> grab his dick and twist. Yeah, dude. That was fucked. That was fucked. Although, crazy how shit comes full circle, is it not? Because I remember when people were having the discussion about Giannis being a dirty player. There was that play on Kyrie. Again, uh, full disclosure here, it started with that play on Kyrie, and I, I do not think that was a dirty play. It was just unfortunate, although a little sus. I already said my piece on it. And then there was that one instance where he like poked Trey Young in the eye on a three. And now we get to this and we have Chris Paul committing a sus play. I'll, I'll say that it's a hundred percent sus. I don't know why, like, I just don't understand what was going through Chris Paul's head at the time, but I guess I, I really don't have to. Um, yeah, just fortunate that nothing really came of it, but folks, I'm out. I'm done as always. Thank you guys so, so much for coming to hang out with me today. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome. Everything that I'm associated with will be in the description box down below. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. I do lots of uh, retrospective basketball stuff on there. Also, you know, follow all the social media handles. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. It helps me tremendously. And with that, I'll catch you guys in the next one.